1: It's day 31 and we are recording this remotely from our respective quarantine spots. Monica is in France with her husband and I am in London with my boyfriend. Before we start this isolation special, we wanted to take a moment to acknowledge how bleak the last few weeks have been in the wake of the global COVID-19 pandemic. And although the magnitude of this crisis needs no further explanation from us, we really hope that you and your loved ones are safe, healthy, and if you can, staying at home, supporting our healthcare and essential workers on the front line. We've never been a hard news outlet and feel that those tuning in will be searching for some light relief. So we'll strive to keep our tone as light as per usual, not because we are tone deaf to the state of the world, but because we really feel if you want to listen to the serious stuff, lots of other sources will be providing that. And since it has been so apparent over the last few months, just how much our strength lies in our communities, we thought the time had come to nurture our listeners, so this episode is dedicated to you, loyal Fashion No Filter rights, and to the healthcare and frontline workers. We will be adding donation links in the show notes for whoever wants to do their bit. Thank you so much for listening. Hi, I'm Kemi Sharia. And I'm Monica Ainley. And you're listening to Fashion No Filter, where we sit down with some of the lead creatives, strategic thinkers, and emerging talent around us to interpret the ins and outs of the fashion industry today. Is this thing on? Is that you, Monica? Yes.
0: Is, are you there?
1: Yes. Hello. <laughs>
0: Hi. Bonjour. Bonjour.
1: We better become technical pros at recording remotely by the end of this. In fact, we never need to see each other ever again, I think.
0: (laughs) Yeah, we can just stay in our respective countries. Honestly, I'm really impressed that Joel, our trusty producer, has managed to make this work because I feel like we are in the same studio, except for the fact that I can't see your lovely face. I can hear you perfectly. It's podcasting in the time of corona.
1: Exactly. Welcome back to Fashion No Filter, everyone.
0: So, Kem, what have you been doing to keep yourself sane? So let's start at the beginning. I kind of want to hear about your routine, how you and Francois are creating a sort of quarantine together. Coping.
1: (laughs) You can say it. Coping. (laughs)
0: I'm trying to be positive.
1: It's been interesting. I think, obviously, and I, I, I say this, understanding how much harder it will have been for most people out there. We're very lucky we've got a roof over our heads, we've got a flat with two rooms so we can be in different rooms during the day, which I don't think is the case for everyone. But I will say that having never lived with someone before, (laughs) and we'd only just moved in before this started, we've gone from being so independent from one another because we both travel obviously so much for work. He's a producer and I... I'm always running around doing fashion week somewhere, et cetera. And it's been a real challenge having to be in each other's space and also be sort of so mindful and respectful of what everybody is feeling at the moment because I think all of us are much more anxious than we're actually letting on. I know I've been sleeping really badly. I don't normally Same. have nightmares and stuff, but I don't know about you, but I've had really bad nightmares at night.
0: Yeah, me too. My nightmares kind of involve like maze. It's all about being trapped. I mean, I'm claustrophobic in the first place. Again, let me preface this as you did with we are incredibly lucky, beyond lucky in our current circumstances compared to a lot of people. But um, yeah, it's all about claustrophobia for me in terms of it's psychological claustrophobia because actually I'm in a very lucky situation where I can go walk around a bit in the country. But I also find it hard not, or I've been finding it really hard not knowing when it's going to end. That being said, Mm. we've been told in France that um, on the 11th of May, we're going to be liberated, Uh, which is like,
1: I'm really curious to see what happens. There was a really funny tweet. Someone said like, it was an American journalist or someone who said like, someone really needs to let us know when this coronavirus is all going to end because we really can't handle not knowing And someone replied, So you want to speak to the coronavirus manager? (laughs) (laughs) Well, exactly.
0: Someone else I read uh, tweeted this morning. I mean, it's not really that funny. It's just so real. Hell isn't other people, it's other people's phone calls. (laughs) (laughs) I really feel like there's only so much you can take of listening to other people on Zoom. I don't know why it's so weirdly annoying.
1: I have a confession to make at the very beginning of the week, and I know this is really sad. I, I'm really not proud of myself for, for admitting this, but I was really upset that I wasn't getting invited to more Zoom meetings or house parties. <laughs> and I I honestly felt, I've been reading all these really interesting pieces. There was one the other day that was called The Death of FOMO. And I was like, but it's not. I feel like I've been left out of the way to quarantine. <laughs>
0: But do you know you can crash house parties?
1: Well, that's why I made you do one with me, because I had to do at least once to know what all the fuss was about.
0: Yeah, you can crash house parties, but you can close the door. So you can crash them until someone closes the door. I believe that's how
1: it works. That sounds like how I actually attend parties normally. I never get invited. I just show up and then talk my way (laughs) (laughs) in. Yeah, but you always get to the best ones. True. To go back to your question, have I created a routine for myself? I mean, not really. I've definitely been very, very good about getting up every day at the same time. I'm not allowed. What time is that? Between 8.30 and nine, every day. You'll know this about me. I'm normally a heavy sleeper. I, I'm very bad in the morning.
0: Heavy is like a real understatement.
1: Yeah, okay, so I'm like a teenager. I really struggle to to get up. And I, for the first few hours, you can't talk to me. My mum always jokes that before one o'clock, there's no point even like asking me a question because I'm just grumpy. But I found the solution to that is to get up a little bit earlier, even if it's really difficult. Then by the time it's 10 o'clock, you're ready to have a a proper conversation with whoever agrees to have a Zoom meeting. (laughs) (laughs) No, but like for real, like the way I've been trying to handle this is, A, getting up every morning, having a shower, putting on clothes, not so much at home clothes. I've been really, the first week I was kind of doing what I was seeing everybody else doing. So putting on like comfy trackies or like, you know, Mm. like um, silk pants. And then I just realized that I just don't feel good when I dress like that. Mm. It's the same as I can't, if I'm not sitting at a desk, I can't really concentrate. I can't write or can't like... Yeah, and it also
0: can't be a low desk, I've noticed about you. It has to be a high desk that makes you sit up straight, which is really interesting. And that's kind of rubbed off on me. So now I'm like walking around the house trying to find the correctly leveled desk, which was never an issue for me before. So it's contagious, but it's good because it makes you sit in a concentrated position
1: exactly it makes you feel like you're doing something productive and i find that if i'm if i'm lying in bed or even on a sofa you know like lounging about i just never get into the right headspace
0: yeah it's all just a bit lolling around isn't it but one thing i will actually differ on is so i'm obsessed with loungewear as you know (laughs) and i have like an absurd amount of sort of silk loungewear and this is like it's time to shine and it's not just pajamas, it's like sort of like silk dresses. Like I have the bias ones in every color from Bias London, but I, from Bias Editions, but I also have all these ones that I left here that are sort of, they're so comfortable. And I never wear this kind of stuff enough. So I'm, I'm really into it. And I feel like a whole new side of my look is being discovered. And it's quite feminine. It's really louche, you know what I mean? I feel like a sort of 18th century man smoking a pipe wearing silks. And I'm quite into it. It doesn't stop me from working. It just makes me feel in character, you know.
1: And what's your character?
0: It's like really intellectual. Oh, okay, of course.
1: So what is our really intellectual character reading at the moment?
0: Yeah, so this, exactly. That was the segue, and I'm glad you picked up on it. <laughs> what I'm reading is potentially going to be a bit of a letdown given my grand intellectual state but actually i don't know nora efron intellectual or not intellectual? oh
1: i'm reading nora Ephron at the moment
0: i'm actually listening to it on audible because nora efron's heartburn is read by brace yourself meryl streep on audible oh my God, that's
1: amazing yeah
0: it's unreal it's the most incredible combination i'm enjoying it to no end
1: I hate to admit it, but I'm very, very late to the Nora Ephron party. I, I never read... I obviously have seen all her films.
0: Because, you know, like, for example, You've Got Mail is my obsession.
1: I know, but me too. I love it. And I also, you know, at the end of You've Got Mail, they play that song Somewhere Over the Rainbow, which is my, yeah. which was always my theme tune to my life. But I, I've always loved her films, but I somehow never really knew... Or I'd just never sort of taken the time to read her novel, her books...
0: Her films, there's all these sort of like, there's the overarching plot and the amazing rom-commy, cominess But there's also all of this hilarious subtext and these kind of minor characters. Like in You've Got Mail, there's Parker Posey, who's sort of this cult, classic weirdo actress from the 90s who uh, used to like go out with Ryan Adams and stuff. And there's a scene where they get trapped in the elevator and they think they're going to be in there for life. And she's like, ugh, if I ever get out of here, I'm getting my eyes lasered. And I just keep quoting that for some reason, because I feel like our lives have just been put on hold and we're stuck in a sort of elevator and there's all of these weird things that you... Anyway, uh, You've Got Mail is brimming with sort of life truths and, and so is most of her work.
1: You find it's funny you say that because I am reading the one that is called uh, I Feel Bad About My Neck. Exactly the same what you're saying as I was reading it. I was finding that there were whole passages that I felt like I wanted to quote that felt so in sync with our time. There was one chapter where she talks about her obsession with cooking and how it came about. And she says, and this is just exactly what we've been witnessing around us. You know, everybody is baking frantically and showing off, you know, all their... All their creations on Instagram. And it's just become like this crazy. I don't want to call it a competition, but almost anyway, she, she said this. Meanwhile, we all began to cook in a wildly neurotic and competitive way. We were looking for applause. We were constantly performing. We were desperate to be all things to all people. Was this the grand climax of the post-World War II domestic counter revolution or the beginning of a pathological illness? I love that.
0: I can't believe how appropriate that is. How apropos, as my silk-wearing, pipe-smoking alter ego would say. I personally feel that that really applies to the current situation on Instagram.
1: Oh, God, yeah. It's exhausting. I've, I've had to give myself, well, see, here you go, more of a routine. I've had to give myself Instagram power hours, and I'm not really allowed to go on the rest of the time because... Weirdly, although I do really see the benefits and how amazing it has been in connecting people and the spike in engagement has been crazy. I mean, I think I was reading something that usage of the app has increased by 30%, but from wow. 25 to 35 year olds, which were always the kind of demographic that was not using it as much as uh younger people. Mm. But at the same time, like yes, we're all connected but looking at what other people are doing every day isn't really going to make you feel any better than it would on a normal day. It's just going to make you feel, I don't want to say inadequate because it it's not that dark, but it's still, I think, the constant comparing to what other people are getting up to instead of focusing on your present time. If, if this has taught us anything, it's that focus on the present, focus on what's going on around you in your little space. And right now, our space is very small. And that doesn't mean you can't open yourself out to the world and read amazing books and watch amazing films and listen to amazing uh, podcasts and opinions but watching what other people are doing to get through their day is not always that helpful.
0: Agreed, although some of it is that but then there's another side to that that I really enjoy which is other people's recommendations and there's a True. lot of that going on on social media right now. You know, it, I think it's about figuring out who you actually want to follow. Maybe there's some unfollows required in the current climate because I, I do hear you on that. So that being said it's interesting because Of course, the most psychologically productive thing to do on any given day is to extend the realm of your, you know, knowledge and boundaries. And I've been watching things that I would never normally have watched, including Bertolucci's epic 1900. Have you ever seen this? What is that? It's with the young um, Robert De Niro and Gérard Depardieu no and it lasts about four and a half hours
1: can i just say you know when they say that couples end up having the same argument again and again and again and that becomes like like that starts to define your relationship our big argument the thing that we cannot agree on but it's turning into a real problem is what film to watch no dear this might sound trivial but François takes films very seriously. He's a producer, mm. and I think he views every film that he watches like a way to stretch himself, and, and everything has to be very beautifully put together, cinematography.
0: Okay, then don't tell him you haven't seen 1900.
1: Oh, God. No, and I want to watch, all I want to watch is, yeah, You've Got Mail and The Notebook oh. and something that's feel-good and that's a bit soppy. Maybe you give me a bit of Jane Austen. Pride and Prejudice right. make me happy. And it's just, we just cannot agree on what to watch during a pandemic.
0: <laughs> yeah. Oh, no. Well, you're going to have to both compromise in one night one person gets to choose and then the next night the other person gets yeah, to
1: yeah, choose. Yeah, yeah, we've tried that. That doesn't work because one sulks. So now we're doing like movie nights separately and then we have days where we watch films together. It's fine. It's also good to give yourself space, I think.
0: It is. Although I have to say I sulked for years while Mark watched this French series that I just thought, I just don't really watch that many French series. And I judged it. I judged him and I judged it. And this is my grand public mea culpa because I am. I'm obsessed with it now. It's a spy series called Bureau des Légendes, which is really big in France at the moment. A new season has just come out, but I um, am actually watching it from the very beginning because I obviously am very behind. I believe in English you can watch it in French with English subtitles. It's called The Bureau. It is brilliantly written. The acting is spectacular, and it's a kind of spy series in the old school, in that it's not about special effects and action and violence and, you know, fight scenes and stuff. It's not James Bond. It's dialogue, but French, so with this sort of all of these really attitude-y French people. <laughs> so it's, it's dialogue and intrigue and double agents. I mean, there's nothing more fascinating than a great actor playing a spy under a légende. So under a false identity, the layers of acting are just astounding. I cannot recommend it more highly. I watch it every night at the moment.
1: Amazing. I'll I'll add that to my list because I haven't seen that.
0: That might be something that you two can watch together.
1: What about podcasts? What have you been listening to? I always love podcasts because it means you can get up to chores, which apparently now take up most of our days. Who knew that cleaning and cooking could actually i mean i suppose it's because we're at home for every single meal so everything that's is, what it is yeah that's what it
0: is you don't just ever just go get like a pret sandwich you just have to it has to be this I whole miss production pret. <laughs> i No, so i do you know what i actually miss this is where i realize the kind of person that i unfortunately am like so much of my day in the city when i'm just working is about where i'm gonna go for lunch and i don't have that right now and i feel like i'm missing this whole like creative experience and this whole reward for myself (laughs) but anyway i'm learning to cook more than just pasta which is obviously a huge leap in the direction of self-improvement i mean i like that we're advertising podcasts on a podcast oh yes no one has asked us to do this, but I am yeah. going to tell you. So I know that we both get a lot of news from the Daily, the New York yeah. Times' Daily News podcast. I personally rely on it year round. It's not just about COVID, but I think that their coverage has been really good. It's quite American centric, but you know, obviously because it's the New York Times, but it's yeah. it's really fair and reliable
1: just allows you to keep up with all the crazy decisions that Trump made on a daily basis over in Yeah, which affects America. all of us,
0: unfortunately.
1: I find that it's my, my way to stay really um, up to date with what's going on on a daily basis out there. Because if not, I just, I've really also decided to not spend so much time listening to the news about Corona. I catch up on it about once every two days, because obviously the numbers keep going up and it's very worrisome but I've just found that actually you don't need to be sort of keeping in touch with what's going on up to the minute because at the end of the day you can't control anything that's happening I'm doing my bit by staying at home I'm trying as much as I can to help by donating and helping um on the ground with a few things that i can in my in my local area but apart from that i know there's nothing more that i can do and i'm not going to be the one helping to find a vaccine or anything am i so there's no point me finding out every day that we're still not there (laughs) i'll just wait yeah
0: although agreed although weirdly there have been some really interesting pieces especially in the new yorker about the actual like genetic makeup and details and research around this particular virus which is normally not the kind of thing I would ever bother to get my head around but I found it really interesting. I'll put some links in the show notes because if you take a step back it's so freaky and I actually wanted to understand more closely how all of this came about. I will occasionally read stuff like that but then I As long as it's sort of explained to me and spoon fed by like a very well written New Yorker journalist, I can't read the actual really scientific stuff if it's not broken down for me. I obviously break that up with a lot of complete silliness. And I wanted to mention there's this one podcast that I have become completely obsessed with, which is called Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend. He's a big uh, talk show host in the States except that he now sort of in this incredibly self-deprecating way has converted himself into podcast hosting. And he's kind of constantly making fun of himself for being a boomer. And his two assistants sit in the background of the podcast and just make fun of him. And then he interviews all of these really prolific comedians and actors and writers. There's a brilliant episode with the author, um, David Sedaris, who is one of my favorite writers. And it is lol out loud, pee your pants, hysterical. I cannot recommend it more for a little bit of escapism. And that is the name of that tune. What have you been listening to to escape, Ken?
1: I have really enjoyed, I mean, I always enjoy, but I really liked Elizabeth's day, you know, How to Fail, her podcast, which talks about the many ways in which we can experience failure. She did a listener special where she asks all her listeners to tell her the stories about the ways in which they are failing at life under lockdown. I don't know about you, but I felt like I've been failing throughout most of this. Like I'm kind of, like this weird feeling like you're not doing it right or people are better at it than you or or that surely there's a way of maximizing your time or feeling guilty because you're not being productive enough or whatever and it was a really beautiful episode that made me well up a bit um, where she talks to all these different people's nurses doctors teachers people dealing with grief people dealing with divorce and it's just a really like Beautiful roundup of all the different ways in which people have been feeling, and she's just got a beautiful way of um, storytelling. I, I really recommend it. I think it's a really good way of sort of coming outside of your own little space and hearing about how other people are experiencing this. And then another one that was a recommendation, actually, that Leandra Medine recommended on Instagram, and I kind of listened to without really knowing what I was getting myself into, but I tend to trust what she has to say called Unlocking Us with Brene Brown, which I hadn't heard of, but is a podcast about the different ways in which we experience our feelings. And this one was on grief and finding meaning. And the host was chatting to a grief expert called David Kessler. And my partner, unfortunately, lost his mum over Christmas. And it's been really hard uh, for him, but also For me to try and understand what a monster grief is and obviously how it affects a person, because until you've experienced it, I think it's very difficult to to really empathise. And I just thought it was so beautiful. He said something so profound. He said during the podcast, the worst kind of grief is always your own, which is such a beautiful and kind of freeing concept because it just allows you to to really allow yourself to like feel the way you do when you're going through something that um, that hard. But I also found it really interesting because he helps unpack some of the feelings that we've all been going through lately and equating our, our loss of routine and, and of the world as we knew it before the COVID crisis and comparing it to grief and saying that actually what we're all going through collectively is grief. And I know that some people will disagree with him. And I've seen a lot of people reacting actually quite um, strongly against this, saying that comparing loss of a way of life to the loss of a loved one is absolutely insulting. But I actually found the episode really interesting and would recommend it for anyone who's been feeling quite anxious and stress during these strange times, and hasn't really been able to put their finger on why. Because obviously, as we said before, for a lot of us, it's just a question of staying at home. That's that's what doing our bit means. I don't know. I just think it's a, it's really worth a listen. And my final one <laughs> that I listened to ages ago, but that I really want to share is Dolly Parton's America. And for anyone who loves music and who loves Dolly Parton, it's such a good podcast. It takes you through a musical journey into Dollywood, which is a real place <laughs> in Tennessee. And it just digs deep into why Dolly is such an unconventional feminist icon. In the first episode, when she asks if she identifies as a feminist, she's like, not at all. But then all her songs are about women and cover so many topics like suicide, miscarriage, etc. She's just like a force to be reckoned with. I am obsessed with her. Wow. And my favorite episode is the one about the song um, I Will Always Love You that was made super famous by Whitney Houston. And it's just beautiful. It's like, it's so interesting to hear about the lyrics and what they mean. It's fantastic. I really, really recommend that if you're looking for some light entertainment. Thank you, Kem. I've got
0: my listening cut out for me and I'm really excited. Just wanted to add another book that strikes me as something that might be quite helpful to people in this moment and is also wildly entertaining. It's a real page turner. And that is A Gentleman in Moscow by Amr Talz who's an American author that manages to sort of create lighter literature with profound deeper meaning, if that makes any sense. I read A Gentleman in Moscow probably about a year and a half ago and I read it really, really quickly and then went back over a few passages recently since the confinement, because it is about a Russian poet during the Russian Revolution who is declared um, a sort of enemy of the revolution and should be sentenced to death, but because his Poetry is so well-loved by the Russian people. His life, unlike a lot of his contemporaries, is spared, but he is condemned to live in the Metropole Hotel, which is this sort of big, grand hotel that he loves, uh, on the Red Square in Moscow for the rest of his days, and if he tries to leave, he'll be killed. And so, obviously, at the beginning of the book, when this trial goes down and he, he's condemned, to this sort of incredibly limiting experience. He has, you know, suicidal thoughts. He he feels incredibly claustrophobic. He doesn't understand how he'll go on. And then little by little, he sort of manages to create this incredibly rich and meaningful life for himself from within the walls of this hotel. There's sort of, a steady stream of characters, each of whom represent different aspects of Russian life or of Russian history, which you see go by over the years modern Russian history starting from the revolution um, through the characters that he comes into contact with. So you have characters that represent different parts of Russian history, but you also have ca- characters that represent different parts of a human life and the human existence, um, including a little girl who he adopts. And it is so rich and so beautiful and such an interesting way of looking at a life within four walls, you know, a life in confinement, that I really enjoyed picking it up again.
1: And and I would recommend that other people do the same if they're looking for a good read. Mm, Amazing. My boyfriend is reading um, Le Comte de Monte Cristo, The Count of Monte Cristo, which is about someone who is also locked up. I think also Mm. people have been watching Contagion on Netflix a lot. It's funny how when you're experiencing something, you want to read about others that are going through the same thing than you. Although potentially
0: better to read about people who managed to create a great situation out of yes, true. <laughs> confinement, out of a shitty one, rather than just watch Gwyneth Paltrow get infected. But I, that's my humble opinion.
1: They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Shall we move on to um, the Q&A part of this episode and get our listeners involved? I would
0: love to move on to the Q&A part because this is a first for us and I was so just thrilled at the number of questions that came in and so many of them were really really interesting so it was really hard for us to pick but we have selected a few for today and then we might do a follow-up um Kim what was the first one that you wanted us to answer
1: I think the first one that I wanted to read out is kind of like an industry update question because obviously this Mm. podcast is still called Fashion No Filter. It is technically about the fashion industry. Technically about the fashion industry, which is quite... I mean, I don't know if it's dormant, but it's definitely a little bit halted in its tracks, which is not necessarily a bad thing. But I want to read out this first question. I'm going to read out the name because we thought it was really nice to have the names of the people that had taken the time to write in. Shout out. Shout out Adriana, who says, Dear Cami and Monica... Can't wait for a new episode of Fashion O'Filter of to be relieved of this chronic boredom. I wonder what your forecasts are on the facets of change the fashion economy will experience. Will there truly be change, especially regarding sustainability, or will everything fit, fall back into old patterns? What are your hopes? Looking forward to your insights. Many warm regards. That's at Adri Mousy. Um, Monica, what are your thoughts? Big question there. I mean, Adri, that's
0: a really, really good question. And I am not going to pretend to have the answer. I know that I have a certain instinct, um, which is all I can really go on. I mean, I've listened to a lot of podcasts and stuff on BOF, you know, predicting change. Listen, I hope that there are lessons that we learn from this that we continue to you know, that we hang on to once we're all back to our normal lives. I hope that the sort of putting real stop to the overproduction, overconsumption madness will kind of just sort of snap us out of the spell a tiny bit. I do feel like there's a potential for that to happen. But, you know, is the industry going to completely change and be unrecognizable when we all go back to work? I just call me cynical, but
1: I just don't see how that could really happen. Um, Cam, what do you think? I mean, we know for a fact that men's and couture fashion week has been cancelled um, yes. the coming season. So that's one big, big thing that we know is not going to go back for for the time being. And having spoken to a few of my friends that are designers, namely my friend Kate Holstein at Kate, Everybody is kind of saying that they think that the big change is going to come from everything moving a lot more into the digital space, even more so than than it already was, because bricks and mortar are going to feel like a liability after all of this. Obviously, when shops have to close for so long and you have to continue paying rents, um, the losses are f- phenomenal. So I think a lot of people have been seeing the value in having a very strong e and that is something that I'm I'm sure is going to be amplified a lot more after this. If it wasn't already very much so before, it's going to be even more so after this. I think that's definitely going to be one of the big changes. And to go back to what Monica was saying, I agree with her. I think it would be great if the industry took this time to reflect and think about how much they make us travel and how much of it is pointless at this at this stage when we know... The effects it's having on the planet but is there really going to be a change i hope so but i don't know we definitely don't have the perspective yet next question okay this one is a career question i'll let you read the next but i'm going to do this one this one is from veronica and veronica said what made you want to be a part of this industry very good question What what made you want to jump on this crazy bandwagon?
0: I mean, after we've just sort of criticized the industry and how it will probably go back to its same old rotten ways. No, but I I feel like it's so easy to sort of poo-poo the fashion industry um, because it's very fashionable to do so at the moment. Listen, I went into the fashion industry when I realized that I could combine my... Total creative hobby since I was a child, which is fashion, clothes. You know, my Barbies had these like incredibly intricate outfits. I don't know about yours. With my other uh, love, which is communication and journalism, that continues to be a great luxury for me to be able to work in these two domains um, combined. And and I and I also loved realizing just how smart so many people in this industry are when I first started doing internships in magazines. Some of the smartest people, some of the smartest women I've ever come across were mentors to me and really helped me realize that fashion was a way of reflecting the socio-political climate, that fashion is a form of social commentary, um, that fashion is a way of understanding history, of understanding women obviously fashion is for men as well but you know over the course of history it's been a way of understanding the situation in which women find themselves in different cultures so I think that fashion has so much going for it and it's important to remember the the pure stuff what about you?
1: It's a, It's a really tough question because I think I kind of fell into fashion by accident I always loved it from afar but I come from a family where like Fashion was very much looked down upon. In fact, I would would argue that it still is in my family, which I've always struggled with quite a lot because I think that one of the ways that I measure success is also like the way that my family um, perceives my success, (laughs) unfortunately. But surely, I mean, surely now they...
0: I know they're listeners, so... Uh. They are
1: listeners. No, they, 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 I think they're very happy for me that I found something that I love, but I don't think they respect the fashion industry. They're very much of the school that they just don't understand it. And yeah. it's something that I think it took me so long to sort of come to grips with the fact that I really loved it. And like you said, the people that I got to interact with while working in this industry have just surpassed my wildest expectations. Mm. Just creativeness and the the mm. thoughtfulness. And yeah, fashion gets accused so often of being frivolous. And I just, I just can't agree with that. I just, the people that I've met, and that I've been able to have the pleasure to sort of work with, have opened my horiz- horizons in a way that I don't think I would have ever been stretched, had I continued down the path of law. And obviously, I would have been stretched in different directions. But I would never have experienced, I think, what I have if i hadn't entered the fashion industry and i think what keeps me there is that being part of the voices the tastemakers the people who you know like it's what you what you were kind of expressing in a way that was probably more articulate than i am now but the fact that fashion does enca- encapsulate a time and a moment and a way you feel and i do think that that is so important and that clothes can be so transformative even in times like this, like coronavirus, I, I have found that getting myself dressed every morning and, and putting on clothes that make me feel a certain way have really helped. And I just continue to love being part of this industry, which I know needs to reinvent itself. But that's what fashion does best. So I hope that kind of answers the question. OK, moving on to another question, which is also a very, I think, a very profound question almost philosophical <laughs> Monica maybe I'll let you read this one although it's very long so maybe it's we'll really not long read, but that's okay we'll not read I'm, the whole thing we'll just read the first part go ahead okay I want to do this justice
0: thank you to Def Nesso who really went for it here hi love the podcast thank you for being great I was wondering whether you would like to discuss what you think about the absence of thoughts, sides, preferences, and criticism in your industry. Whew. Apart from the designers who create and innovate, and fashion journalists who only sometimes act as critics, I find the fashion industry, and especially its influencers, annoyingly unopinionated and bleak. Eesh. What I mean is that everyone always... Loves every show, dies for every mascara, just adores every individual, even though us as audience, we know that no one can be that neutral or undecided. I don't mean to ask for pettiness or arrogance, but thoughtful, original opinions on things like why did X like the Marc Jacobs show so much? Has he changed the way he presents himself? Where does this inspiration come from? Is it unique? We are hungry for educated and curious analysis instead of superficial love thrown in every direction all the time without sincerity. And I feel like it numbs our brain to not to know why every new bag, every single high brand is interesting equally all at once. Amen. (laughs) Thank you, Def Nesso because I think that that is something we
1: never talk about and needs to be discussed. So, great point. It really is. And I've always found it incredibly weird how... Little the fashion industry will allow for criticism because it's true that if you compare it to the food industry where like chefs get ranked, you know, they get Michelin stars and they have like people coming in and sharing their reviews of all of their restaurants and stuff. Um, Same for film, same for art. Fashion really is very insular. And we touched on this when we interviewed Louis Prigent, how they are, brands are almost... They were so reluctant at letting anybody in and they don't let journalists come. And if a critic gives a negative review, the chances are they probably won't be invited to the next show, which is completely outrageous. That is not how it works. Unless they literally
0: have to invite them because there are some people that are so important that they're going to be invited no matter what.
1: Well, you say this, they are refused, like Kathy Horn gets banned from Yves Saint Laurent is never again kind of thing. And and No, but all I'm saying is sometimes they have to invite
0: them back, but it's so begrudgingly. And I just can't understand why you wouldn't want to improve for your audience and clients with positive feedback. It's very strange to me. But individuals like Kemi and I, you know, Kemi and I try, and part of the reason this podcast exists is to create open dialogue. I mean, we're not like slating everyone, but we try and be quite honest. But as as an influencer, that is not what brands want from you. No. And, you know, Kemi and I already tread very close to the edge because we are also journalists. And it has very nearly gotten both of us in quite a lot of trouble a few times. And, you know, we're not like radicals here
1: you were expected not to open your mouth. Do you agree, Kemi? Yeah, I think it's something that we don't talk about enough. And it's something that I think is rubbing people off the wrong way. How I suppose it's because when influencers started, they were not called influencers. They were bloggers. They had their own personal spaces. And speaking in my own voice here about myself, we were nobodies. Basically, I wasn't part of the industry when I started. I never thought I would be part of the industry. I was just giving a lot of feedback on things that I loved and I didn't like, and I would do it in a kind of facetious way. So often my articles were funny and silly, but always giving a very critical point of view because that's how I was taught to write. Because I'm a lawyer, I was taught to always argue both sides and to express exactly why you um, you feel a certain way. That's also a big part of the French education system, I've realized. True. And doing that, I think, is also what got people interested in my page. But as you start getting a bigger following, as you start working with more brands, as you start having a lot more people and eyeballs looking at your work, it does get harder to come in with opinions because the more opinionated you are, the more aggressive people get from the follower point of view. Like, so as soon as you express an idea you get trolls basically disagreeing with you that are very, very aggressive, which makes you kind of think twice before you want to put your yourself on one or on another side. And I'm not talking about the fashion, only the fashion industry. I'm talking about any kind of real opinion that you put out there. And then there's also the fact that from a brand point of view, what Monica said before, kind of the, the way to do things is kind of just to sort of applaud. It's like, oh, yes, that was amazing. And I think neither of us can be accused of doing that. I really rarely share anything that I've not really loved and sort of feel like is something with added value. But um, how to change that within influencer culture, I think it's by demanding so. You know, if you if you feel that people are always sharing very monotous, monotonous reviews and stuff, maybe like comment and say like, love your work, but would love a little bit more objectiveness. I think people will listen to their followers.
0: Uh, Yeah, they will. And also if it's public, you know, you don't need to trash people, but giving that kind of feedback, the brands can also see that on people's feeds. I mean, I think that we need to reset a little bit and think about what an actual tastemaker is, and, you know, fashion journalists and editors have been tastemakers for for decades, um, and now influencers are part of that as well. Isn't a tastemaker someone you rely upon to sift through all the stuff and find the good stuff? Like, isn't that the entire point? And this is not meant to sound aggressive, and I, I am far and beyond aware of how incredibly lucky I am to even be sent anything to decide how I feel about it. But as a brand, when you are sending a tastemaker or something, it's not because you sent it to them that they're going to give it a great review. That's not how it works. It's not because you invited a restaurant critic to your restaurant that they're going to love the food. Is it? I mean, surely not. I find the whole thing rather confusing. I am a pretty honest person, and I think people who listen to the podcast, we both are, know that. But like... I wrote this piece in British Vogue last week, or uh, two weeks ago, and I was really honest about some experiences with trolls and things. People were shocked. People were really surprised that, I mean, if you want to read it, there's a link in my profile, but people were really surprised because I think a lot of influencers and even, dr- and, and writers, you know, when something goes wrong for them digitally, they kind of just bury their head in the sand. Whereas I thought, what an interesting thing. I mean, let's analyze this. I don't know. I think that you're really good about that as well. I think that when a heated debate going on on your Instagram account, which has definitely happened, you know, you're pretty upfront about it.
1: Mm. I think it's a very tricky situation that we're in at the moment. And I'm gonna, I'm really struggling at the moment with how much people are using authenticity as a way to kind of get more attention. And it's really not sitting, well with me. Can you explain that? Well, because Def is saying, and I agree with her, that influencers often are very, you know, like always showing the good and they're often, you know, applauding most brands and every day there's a new thing that they love and blah, blah, blah. And I think their way to counter that is creating this like version of themselves where they're sort of opening up to their audience And it's like, this is the real me. And they'll talk about their problems or like their anxiety and all these other things. But the way it's done, it's almost like that has become another currency, something else to make you get more attention, get more likes. And I'm just not really sure how I feel about that. I just don't feel like anything is done in a truly authentic way anymore. And that when people are sharing like, this is an image of me and like, look at my like, look at my stomach. I've like, uh, now I have like three extra kilos because of the confinement, confinement. Sorry. Yeah. People are showing their reaction. Well, kilos. it's like, no, but what I'm saying is, are you really doing it because you want to make people feel better? Or are you doing it because you want even more people to congratulate you about how open you are? Because I, I, I don't know, like, and this maybe is me being too overly analytical but how far down this road of sharing are we going to go because it's getting very I don't know it's it's just a lot so you think that people need to respect their own privacy is that what you're saying no I'm just saying that if authenticity is now to sort of come up with a very sanitized caption to pretend that you're being authentic when actually like the real things that you are insecure about you're never going to express them. I think that people are using these kind of fake authentic moments like saying oh like I feel really bad today because like look I'm going to admit to you that my stomach is a bit bigger than usual and like here's a picture of it and blah 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 but actually they're not going to admit that they've had Botox, plastic surgery, that the picture is retouched, (laughs) that the picture took 150 pictures to get right, that the caption took 150... Well, and also just to relate back to the question, they're also not going to like
0: criticize fashion show that was clearly not good.
1: I don't know. I just think that it's this authenticity thing is coming in waves and not always in an authentic way. And that is, Mm -hmm. I think, creating even more of this divide between what we know is real and what people actually think and what isn't. And I think it's also quite damaging for younger children, like younger Teenagers and stuff who are watching all of this and who think that to be authentic is to share all this stuff about yourself, when actually it's totally fine to also keep that to yourself. And I do see the value in arguing that actually some of this is really helpful and being more open and being more real can help so many people identify on all of that. But I just think that it needs to be done in a mindful way because by doing that, I don't know, like I'm struggling to sort of articulate how I feel about it, but. It's something that I think is going down a very dangerous road at the moment. And I hope that it will be unpacked because right now I'm just not sure where it's headed.
0: But so just to clarify for the audience, because, you know, just to bring it back to the question, are you saying that people are being transparent in the wrong ways because
1: i just don't think they're being transparent i think they're pretending to be transparent when they think that that to be transparent for that occasion is going to get them an audience and therefore more likes and i don't think that's what being transparent is being vulnerable means actually being open to things that truly profoundly affect you it's not like a kind of five-minute caption about something that actually you think is only going to get you more eyeballs on your picture kind of thing.
0: Yeah, 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 I
1: hear you. Should
0: we go to the next question? That was very deep. That gives us something to think about. And I am now gonna bring up shopping because that's fun. Slow Wonders writes, Hi, would love to know which brands you think could really benefit from people continuing to shop it right now and at low mid-high price points. Also, would it be more helpful to shop them through their own sites or online retailers like Shopbop or Net-a-Porter that may have stronger supply chains? Thanks, guys. Love the pod. Thanks, Wallandes. Kemi, can you please tell me which low, medium, and high brands you think that people should be investing on in uh, right now?
1: First of all, there's a very interesting article that was written by Vanessa Friedman on whether we should be shopping or not right now, the ethics behind it, whether it's responsible to be shopping. I know that Amazon right now has just closed some of their factories in France because they were not taking proper precautions. We obviously know that net is also closed. So obviously there's also an ethical element to shopping that we've never really had to think about before, which is, other people delivering, packing and getting my orders ready, even safe. Um, So that's obviously something to bear in mind. And I think the article is a very interesting one to read if you want to get your head around that. And she does a much better job than me. So I'll just link that in the show notes. But at the end of the day, we all know that the most stressful thing or one of the most stressful things of this whole pandemic is how it has brought our whole economy to a halt And that is obviously incredibly nerve-wracking. A lot of businesses are going to go out out of business. A lot of brands, small brands in particular, but even the bigger brands are going to be really suffering at the moment. And a good way to show support, obviously, is to continue purchasing and engaging with them. Sometimes uh, that doesn't even necessarily mean having to buy something. Even just interacting with brands, young brands in particular on their Instagram accounts, showing them that you care, commenting, liking, sharing is a positive thing that you can do. And then obviously, if you can buy, because you've got money to spare at the moment, which obviously not everyone does, and I'm not trying to suggest that you should, but if you do, there are brands that are doing things incredibly well, because they've made sure that part of the proceeds are going to charity. Monica, would you like to list some of the brands that you you know are uh, are doing that? And you would be happy to Okay. So there's this great Spanish espadrille
0: brand called Medebi um, that I wear a lot in the summer and summer is coming. They make espadrilles in every shape and size and color. And for every sale right now, they are donating 10 euros to COVID research. And they've also recently donated 10,000 surgical masks. I love small brands. This is a small brand and I love small brands that are making this like level of effort you know this is just one example there are so many actually cam do you have other do you have another small brand that you want to yeah start with? i do
1: actually um my friend imma who does marcia which are the dresses which ah. are cut out and it's a sustainable brand to begin with so already something to feel less guilty about the normal shopping but has been donating 30 percent of her profits to helping hospital staff in france i know that lulu studio that that makes beautiful, beautiful cashmere basics is also donating 20% to the World Health Organization. I know that for, for working from home, that's very much ideal. Yeah. By the way, Lulu
0: Studio, great
1: loungewear
0: in there and cashmere and stuff for confinement to, to still look chic while confined. Ideal. Very exactly.
1: For your Zoom meetings, you can, add, you can pair them with beautiful earrings and stuff. And also... Kate, friend of the pod, because we obviously interviewed Kate Holstein a few months ago, will be donating 10% of their proceeds to baby to baby which is on the ground, helping to provide essential items to f- children and families impacted by the COVID-19 pandemic. Lots of brands are doing things, to be honest. And as Monica said, I don't think we can call out that many, but I would encourage you to continue to shop if... Um, if you can, obviously, and to try and pick those who are doing something to give back. Yeah, actually, I just want to throw
0: in one more. There's a skincare, a small skincare brand called Soft Skincare that have created a campaign called Masks for Masks, and they're donating 100% of profits to get medical masks to doctors and nurses in New York. New York has been so badly hit by COVID-19.
1: So if you want to buy some skin cream, that's a good place to go right now. It was also very reassuring to see that LVMH followed suit and echoed Chanel and Hermès that took it upon themselves to not accept government help when it came to paying their st- their own staff. Um, these are obviously companies that make millions and it took them a minute, but they did the right thing. And it's it was a very positive move, I think, to see that our industry really was stepping up. And when they're making so much money, to see that they're also giving back and making sure that all their staff are being looked after, that made me feel a lot better about the luxury industry that I was yeah. feeling quite worried
0: about. Bravo. Adviamesh have also converted, you know... I- I'm sure a lot of people have already read about this, but they're uh, perfume factories into hand gel production facilities and they've made a real effort. Prada Group also have donated two complete intensive care and resuscitation units to Milan hospitals,
1: which is quite impressive. I think they manufactured 80,000 medical overalls and 110,000 masks which were all allocated to healthcare personnel. So I think that's really also positive to hear that fashion brands are stepping up their game and making sure that they're part of the real world because that's, they often get accused of being, you know, kind of living in their own little bubble. So it's it's good to know. I love the next question. Which
0: women over 40 do you admire for their style and fashion and why? Oof, I love this question. Love this question. So many. We're not 40 yet, but we, you know, it's like, it's totally coming. And I think a lot about how women older than me dress. And I sometimes almost have like envied being able to dress in a slightly more grown up way and looked, really looked forward to it.
1: I'm wondering whether we can answer people that are not alive anymore as well. I'm going to go with yes. Okay. So do you want to go first?
0: My list is really long. I'll start with people who are live. Kristen Scott Thomas, so chic. Michelle Obama. I mean, how to dress like a, a first lady. Then I get into more fashion press-y people who I admire. It's a, This is almost a bit stalkerish. But um, I think that Yasmin Kaiser, my friend from Paris Vogue, is really cool. I think that Sophie Fontenelle has a really unique and interesting style. I think that... Caroline de Maillet, I mean, goes without saying. What a chic lady. And she's just written a book about being, you know, an elegant Parisienne in your 40s. Obviously, Emmanuel Ault, obviously, Charlotte Gainsbourg, but obviously, the French women do really nail it with the over 40 style. I'm going to say Agreed. they actually excel far beyond other cultures once they hit the over 40 and over 50 category. Yeah, but then I just wanted to shout out a couple of Brits and Americans as well. I think that our friend Laura Bailey, the British model, is incredibly chic. And then, you know, I think you've got to, like, if you're going to talk about elegant older 40 women, you've got to talk about the Kennedys, because obviously. Yeah, so like always. Lee read as well, Jackie, they looked absolutely glamorous until their dying day, so, you know.
1: Okay, so moving to the last question that we're going to do today, uh, which I thought was a really funny question because I have kind of felt the same way. Lina Yvonne says, feel a big FOMO right now, like all is living their life as usual except for me. How to cope with this? I really like this because I have felt the same way, not every day and not all the time, but there have been days where have I've woken you? up. Yeah, I, not FOMO, it's not the right word.
0: I, I, Let me just interject really quickly. I was quite surprised by this question because I actually feel like this is the first time probably since I started working that I have, because when you're a student, you know, your holidays, you can actually not worry about doing anything, that I have... Not felt FOMO because I know that nobody else is getting on with things. Does that make any sense? I mean, nobody can. Nobody can do anything.
1: Yeah, I, I know what you mean, but I don't. When I read the question and the way I understood it, because that's how I've been feeling, is not FOMO in the sense of like not being invited to a party, which is what FOMO used to be, but FOMO in the sense of not getting this right, like not mm-hmm. maximizing the time that you've got at your home, not being productive enough, not cooking enough not being able to sort of motivate yourself to do your daily workout video from home. I think that's how I understood it. And that people are kind of just, or even to go even deeper that everybody is kind of acting on social media like their life is the same except that they can't leave the house and everything's fine when actually you're feeling quite unhinged and upset and anxious right. and that actually this is awful and when is it going to end? Because it's a fucking nightmare. <laughs> yeah, right. Okay. Yeah. And I think it's just totally normal to feel like right like that. And no one is getting it right and nobody is living their life as usual. And this is probably the only time we've ever experienced something like this. And there's just no right way to feel right now. And you can be sure that whatever you're seeing on social media is not going to be the accurate depiction of what people actually are feeling. It's just a version that they want to project. And you just need to constantly remind yourself of that. No one is having a better time than you. Everybody's got good days and bad days. And obviously, if you're someone that's not incredibly unwell, which would be very hard at the moment. I think the people who have caught the virus have had a really tough time. It's a really nasty beast this is. I've spoken to a few friends who've had it and they've really, really had a horrible time.
0: Well, I mean, and those people that you've spoken to are obviously lucky.
1: Yeah, 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 of course. I just think right now you just have to be really kind to yourself, take every day as it comes and just sort of try to get through it. Yeah, I know that this sounds really annoying and instructive.
0: But just try and enjoy the fact that probably never again in your adult working life will you be allowed this much downtime without feeling guilty about it. You do not need to feel guilty about it. Chill out, chillax, try it, and maybe start with our recommendations at the top of the episode.
1: Thank you so much for tuning in. And we hope that this provided a little bit of light relief. Obviously, that's all it can ever be. Um, And again, our thoughts to everybody who is going through this. And we really hope that you and your loved ones stay well and stay home throughout this. Um, And to everybody else, we're sending love and we hope that everything is going to be okay. And we are not opposed to doing another
0: Q&A episode if that is what you loyal listeners so desire so if you have more questions for us um, don't hesitate to send them in by email or dm on the fashion no filter account everything that we discussed in the episode will be linked in the show notes thanks so much thanks for listening bye
1: bye